Let's pray together first. Heavenly Father, we open your word and speak to our hearts and help us to live by your word. In your precious name, amen. Do you remember the first moment your spouse, boyfriend, or girlfriend declared his or her love for you? Honey, darling, apple, or whatever they named you, I love you. It's so sweet, isn't it? It doesn't work, this one. Yeah. Maybe battery, battery problem. Can you fix it? Another Bob, Bob the Builder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's so sweet, isn't it? And that's probably one of your really special memories. I certainly remember the, the very evening Hannah, now my wife, made clear her love for me, although she didn't call me Apple or Darling or any of those affectionate nicknames. It didn't matter as long as she said, I love you. And I knew that she meant it. Here is another memory I have. When I was about five, I think, I almost set fire to my grandparents' house. I thought I was very nice, nice kid, but there was a couple of incidents. As I remember, I was playing with a lighter in my grandpa's room. Thank you, Bob the Builder. <laughs> so he was a smoker and had left it on the table. I don't remember all the details, but a fire started in the clothes hanging in the wall and left some burn marks. Of course, I was scared of what my grandparents would say, but they embraced me saying, we still love you. Nice grandparents, isn't it? Likewise, the Bible reading for today is all about love, God's love. We are hearing the declaration of God's love for everyone. God so loved the world. Moreover, God's love is not a vague or sentimental feeling which might invert cute pet names for the recipient of the love. But it is love that costs. John makes that very clear by showing us that God gave his only son to save us. This is the heart of the gospel story about Jesus and his coming. It also, John is telling us that love is not merely a continuous attitude of God. It also involves the amazing action of the gift of God's only Son. In Christ, God gave his unique Son the very image of himself. That's what I want to talk about today, about two weeks out from Christmas. 
Before we start to dig deeper, let me remind you of one thing. Today's Bible passage is actually a continuation of the famous conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus about new life, which we explored last Sunday. Have a look at the last two verses of the conversation. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him that have eternal life. Can you see what Jesus is saying? He points Nicodemus to the future day when he would be crucified. He is using an Old Testament metaphor which, with which Nicodemus would be familiar. Like Luther's statement, the cross is the test of everything. We need to come back to this. Now look how John 3.16 starts. Do you see the connection with the previous verses? Verse 16 starts with the word for, which means it is giving the reason why the Son of Man will be lifted up. It's so important to understand this. I can't stress how big a deal this is. And we read through John, 1, John chapters 1 to 3, right at the beginning of the gospel, John deliberately points us forward to the cross and to its significance. In today's reading, John is giving us a bigger much bigger picture from God's viewpoint. Have a look at the painting on the screen. Christ of St. John of the Cross is a painting by Salvador Dali made in 1951. Have you noticed something interesting here? As you know, I'm not a painter or a curator of an art museum. I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, who sometimes sing during my sermon, but not today. So there is not much I can point out about the details of the painting, but there's one thing I want you to observe. Look at the composition of the picture. You may have seen many pictures where the viewer is looking up at the cross, but in this painting, Jesus' cross is seen from heaven. And this different perspective leads us to consider some questions. What was the cross about in God's eyes? How can we explain the reason for the cross of the Son of God? It is appalling that the Son of God should, be, should have been crucified. It was a terrible punishment for the violent political prisoners of the Roman era. But as we know, Jesus wasn't a violent political revolutionary. So why was Jesus crucified? See, what the text here in John 3.16 answers directly is this. The cross 
was mainly the intersection of God's love and our rescue. It captures the central message of the Bible and the only explanation we can have for the cross. It identifies the way in which God saves people through their belief in his Son, Jesus Christ, and that is because of his love for us. God's love for the world is directly connected to God's giving of his Son, the best gift for us. God rescues people through his love. That's the motivation behind the coming of Jesus and his death on the cross. So, what does it mean that God loved the world? There are two things we need to ponder. First, notice the universality of the love of God. John makes it very clear in his letter, 1 John, that the love of God is for the whole world, showing the truth that the inherent nature and being of God is love. Have a look at 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. God's love for the world not just for Israel, is new to Jewish ears. They are very proud of God's special favor for Israel. But no other Jewish author before John expressed God's wider love for others as clearly. The whole work of salvation that God accomplishes in Christ is directed to the world. He takes away the sin of the world. He is the savior of the world. He gives life to the world. This is at a huge cost for he gives his flesh for the life of the world. That's amazingly great news for each of us because we are part of the world. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, whether we have health issues, whether we are between jobs, whether our relationships are a mess, the list of those who are included in God's love and salvation plan goes on and on. John tells us that the heart of God beats with love for each of us. The Bible's good news is about the Savior and his coming into the world to rescue people of every race, every language, age, and ethnicity. And second, God's love for the world shows the magnificence and grace of his love. In fact, John wants us to be aware it is a real surprise that the object of God's love could possibly be the world, the very world in which John sees all the fallen and systematic rebellion against God. For although John uses the word, the world, in a 
few ways, it's important to see that John knows that the world is evil. Have a look at John 7.7, where Jesus says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. And did you notice what he's saying? The world is not a neutral place that is made better through Jesus. Rather, Jesus came to enemy territory, a place in darkness that he absolutely rejected him. In fact, the world doesn't deserve the love of God. Neither you nor I deserve God's love. In other words, our loveliness is not the reason that God loves us. Rather, it is the loving heart of God which motivates his choice. When it comes to God's love, you may face a challenge from your non-Christian friends. I have had this happen to me. They ask this, why would the God of love condemn those who don't believe in Jesus? Let me tell you the truth. Jesus doesn't bring or create condemnation. Jesus comes to bring hope. He comes to our world in order to bring God's grace. That's what John 3.17 is all about. John says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Again, John clearly identifies the nature of the judgment. Come with me to verse 18. Whatever believes in him is, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Can you see the point John is making? In fact, The word condemnation reveals the natural process happening in the world. Now let me make this clear. As the Bible teaches, judgment has already happened and is ongoing because the world is already broken and in need of redemption. That some don't believe in Jesus mainly reveals or uncovers the condemnation which is already true. They themselves choose darkness, and in that lies their condemnation. Destruction is not something God gives. In other words, the fact that the world is under condemnation was an established fact before Jesus came. But the incarnation of Jesus, the light, created a new situation where things could be different. And just think how true that is both in you and around you. We can see that as humans without Jesus, we have 
darkness around and in us. And John describes this from the beginning of the gospel. He refers to a great light coming into the world, shining in the darkness of the world, giving light to all people so that they may come out of the darkness into the light and be able to walk in light instead of stumbling in the darkness. Have a look at John 12, 46. Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Even though the light of Christ came into the world, people loved darkness instead of light. The world in darkness hates the true light and rejects it. Come with me back to verses 19 to 20 in chapter 3. They show us what it means to live in darkness. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. What's remarkable about this, as some of you have noticed, is that John is revealing the seriousness of sin and the poor plight of a human in darkness. In fact, this is the process of how the people in darkness act. John highlights two characteristics of the people who love to stay in darkness. First, they have a familiarity with sin. The fundamental truth is that when we see something, hear something, and feel something every day, there is no way to avoid getting used to it. People love to stay in darkness because it's familiar to them. They don't want to change their sinful deeds. As you, have, you may have experienced, breaking away from a familiar thing is very difficult. It is even more difficult. It is a matter of sin. So my friends, remember, our lives reveal where we belong. Whether it is in the light or in the darkness. If you feel comfortable with the scene, you may not be living in the light. Second, they have a fear of their scene being revealed. It can be hard for people to let the light of Christ shine in their hearts. Darkness hides what is wrong. They are attracted to being in the dark, hiding away from the light, which so uncomfortably reveals their darkness to themselves. They don't want to expose their sinful deeds. If they keep things, if they keep think, if they keep things hidden from the light of Christ, however, their lives cannot be seen for what they really are. And they cannot 
repent and be forgiven. In other words, they want to remain in darkness as, as they don't want to repent. There is only one option if sin is revealed. Repentance. Christ, the light, shows us who we really are and what we need. Rescue. His light helps us see plainly that we have sinned and that we are stuck in sin. And he provides the only way out. Is he lightening your way today? Friends, where do you find the love of God? Is it in Jesus? Is it in what God has done on the cross for you? Or are you seeking it elsewhere? If you want to see and experience the love of God, come to Jesus and his cross where God's love is revealed. The gift of salvation is for all who believe and recognize Jesus as the Savior, the true light of the world. Only those who respond by receiving God's gift in Christ may enjoy his love. Sadly, many people want nothing to do with this gift. They might just ignore it and think it's a fairy tale or that it doesn't apply to them. They might argue that if God really wanted to help us, he should have ended poverty, war, and suffering, or should have cured cancer or cleaned up the environment. Others might be polite and say they appreciate it that God has given a gift, but they don't really do anything with it. But there are others who absolutely love Jesus and recognize that he is the best gift of God. To enjoy this gift fully, we need to hold on to our belief in Jesus each and every day. We don't have the gift at all if we don't believe. We need to live by the truth that Jesus coming into the world frees us from sin and rescues us to live full life that we can enjoy forever with Jesus. Let's wrap up. Christmas is coming. But sometimes it feels like the world, such as shopping centers, eBay, Amazon, has kidnapped Christmas. Does our Christmas celebration tell the whole good news? It's the announcement of God's love and of where God's love was revealed. That's why it's good news. That's why it's worth celebrating in joy. How will you respond to the declaration of God's love to you this Christmas? Let's pray together. Lord, we are overwhelmed as how much you love us. Or we can pray that 
Because you who said, let light shine out of darkness, made your light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the nourish of the love of God in Christ and his cross. Help us to gratefully receive your, your gift of salvation, forgiveness, and grace. Then help us to pass it along to others. In your precious name, amen.